My next guest is an actress, writer, director, and mental health advocate. In 2019, she was nominated for a Forbes 30 Under 30 in the field of education. Please welcome Shreya Patel. Hello, how are you? Hey, well, Shreya, how are you? Good. Excellent. Thank you well, for listen, having thank- me. <laughs> no problem. Thank you so much for, for joining. Listen, before we get started, and I will edit this part out, mm-hmm. if we get disconnected, mm-hmm. um, let's just reconnect right away. Um, okay. And at times it might sound like uh, there's a lag in you hearing me and me hearing you. I think that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. Awesome. So... I was doing some research. Mm-hmm. You grew up in Sarnia. Yes, I did. So I, I, I have to ask this because you're uh, Indian background. Mm-hmm. Why Sarnia? <laughs> That's a question that everyone always asks. It's because my dad is an engineer. So okay. all, Sarnia is a lot like chemical valleys and things like that. So a lot of engineers are settled there. Okay. Okay. I was wondering why not the big city or something like that. I think we lived in Brampton for like three months. And then my dad was like, "Mm, no, you're going to go to Sarnia (laughs) where there is no South Asian. Well, there is no person of color. Really? Yeah. Yes. Elementary school, high school was just me and my brother and everyone knew who the brown kids were. (laughs) How how was it growing up in an environment like that? Uh, I was bullied. A lot, wow. actually. My brother was not because he was much younger, but I was bullied a lot. Like, there'd be all these kids who would say, like, really mean things to me. Like, I don't belong there. Um, I used to actually run away from all these kids and sit behind a school wall and write in my diary, trying to get away from that environment. So it was a little difficult. I used to go home and just, like, pray every day, be like, oh, I really hope I get new friends tomorrow. Wow. It was one of those things, but <laughs> obviously the city has uh, been very supportive now, of course. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. Sorry, I'm glad you can laugh about it uh, today. Mm-hmm. Um, were you like, did you physically run or were you just um, avoiding? Well, it was both because there were there okay. was a time when I was surrounded by a bunch of older guys. They were like in grade eight. I was in grade six. And they uh-huh. would just surround me in a circle and just I'll be in the middle and they'll say like really rude things to me. So I kind of have had to run from there. But most times I was avoiding them. So most wow. times I would just be like hiding in the bathroom or mostly sitting in the back of a school wall mm-hmm. and then write in my diary. And it, it's I still have that diary and it's kind of interesting to look back and see uh, how far I have come. Because, of course, when kids are bullied, um, it stays with you for a very long time. Sure. And until you're self-aware of it and you work on it and you realize that it's not about you, it's about how they are, what, what they're going through, what the bully is going through, and they're just projecting that, that onto you, your perspective mm-hmm. changes. So mm-hmm. that's what's happened to me. It's, I guess my perspective changed. Wow. That, now that must have taken a while. It's probably not something that a grade six uh, is sort of thinking about. Oh, they must have an issue. It's not me. 
Oh yeah, it's been it's taken years. I could mm. say like in my into my adulthood. Wow. And was this uh you you have a a bell let's talk video mm-hmm. where you where you talk about suffering from anxiety. Was was this sort of the catalyst for that? You know, it's funny because I did not recognize that I had anxiety until I started working in a in a work environment like which was very negative. But now mm. that I have grown and I look back at it, absolutely. I think that I have suffered from anxiety since I was a kid because of the environment that I was in in school, uh, but I didn't recognize it at that time. And I think wow. it was severe when I came to the workplace and I was like, I don't know why I can't breathe. Like, I feel like, you know, there's a fish out of the water. And then I realized I was suffering from anxiety. And then I was like, okay, well, now that I know what the root causes, let's try and find solutions for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to talk more about, you know, how your family thought about this or what your family thought about this and how you handled it and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. However, I, there's something else I came across you, during this time you're in Sarnia, and maybe I got this totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Did you enter and win like a a, a beauty pageant? <laughs> yes, I won uh, Miss Teen Sarnia. It's funny because it's like a brown woman representing a not so brown city <laughs> to Miss Teen Canada. So yes, I did win that when I was a teenager. And not only that, like, so how did you, so what came first, the realization that others had issues? Because I'm, I'm, I'm curious how you go about from running away from people, um, and, you know, being bullied to finding the courage to enter this sort of uh, competition. So for me, Even though I was bullied, the one thing that was solid for me was where I want to be in my life. And Mm. the way that I like saw my life was like the only way I could express myself during this time was either through drama, dance or fashion. And at that time, like even though I was bullied, I it did not affect how I thought of how will I how I will achieve my dreams. So I wanted to be in fashion since I was five years old. And even though people would be like, oh, you're dressed weirdly or you, you know, you want to you want to be in fashion. Ha ha. It it never that never affected me. It affected my personal, like how I see myself, but not because my dream was like I felt like it was different from who people thought I was. Mm -hmm. So even entering the pageant and stuff, that was just for me because I was like, this is where I want to be and I'm going to try it out. Yeah. And and of course I had insecurities. Of course there was confidence issues at that time, but I think winning the pageant and going forward with the like you know we're going to Miss Teen Canada and things kind of helped build a little bit of confidence. Mm-hmm. And uh very honestly the the reason why uh the pageant was so great for me was because I used to I started working because I was bullied in school and I had very not that very few friends I was volunteering a lot because that was my channel like way of channeling into like a social life and mm-hmm. because I had none um I used to volunteer at YMCA and all these bunch of different charities when I was younger and what happened was when I won the pageant I used that to give a voice to other charities and stuff so I was working with like Make-A-Wish Foundation and things and that's when I realized that I could 
you know, use my story and use my voice to potentially help others who are going through something similar. When did you and your family understand that you were suffering uh, or realize that you were suffering from anxiety? Uh, during my work environment. So basically 2016, 2017. Oh, wow. So this yes. is very recent. Yes. And um, I, I don't think I have suffered from severe anxiety until the, that work environment, that one year that I spent okay. in that negative environment. So it became mm-hmm. quite severe. And at that time, I was like, okay, now this is this is something that I have not experienced till this extent. And I mm-hmm. kind of want to do something about it. And for me, even if I work in a negative, stressful environment, I'm pretty good at handling it. Because yeah, sure. I always tell myself this, if I'm working for someone else, then I'm going to do something for myself every single day, maybe being a better person or like learning a skill. And that's mm-hmm. for myself. So after work, I used to go to the circus school because um, I just like to perform, like like learn different okay. aerial arts. Yeah. So I started doing that. And when my anxiety got severe, I was not able to have fun in my stuff that I love to do. And if I don't have fun and stuff that I love to do, that means the root cause is a problem and I need to fix it because wow. that work wasn't doing anything for me. Because for me, it's my parents always told me you have to be you have to learn how to be happy and you have to like not expect things like be grateful for things. And if that's not happening, then you have to change your environment. So You've... that's when I spoke to my parents about it. Was it was that hard to do to uh, to talk to your parents about that? Because I know you've spoken in the past about um, you know in in that culture, it's 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 something that's looked it's frowned upon. It's not spoken about. Yes, actually, it is uh, not spoken about at all. Which is why my family wasn't even educated about it. Um, mm-hmm. So when I did tell them about. I, I, I didn't actually tell them about anxiety because I myself did not know I had anxiety. Like things that I would Google is like feeling like fish out of the water, can't breathe. And they're like, oh, you're, you have anxiety, right? So yeah. I ended up telling my parents about it. And I was like, I don't know. I can't breathe. I can't this. And the first thing they told me, they were like, okay, well, you know what to do. If you're not happy in that workplace, you got to quit. Because at the end of the day, it matters if you're happy or not. And I honestly, that was the one time that I worked a nine to five job for one year. And that was wow. it. And <laughs> I quit. I quit. I was like, I can't do this. I'm way too creative for this. Yeah. And they were so supportive. And they're like, okay, now what can we do to help you come out of this? I'm like, I just need a break. They're like, okay, take a break. We're here for you. And through that, I had realized that I had anxiety. And I tried to explain that to them. And yes, it. of course, they were like, what does that mean? Like, it's all in your head. and But they were not saying it in a way that most South Asian people tend to say it in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I have seen that before. But with my parents, they were like, maybe it's all in your head. We never had it. I'm like, mom, because or dad, it's like, because there's no education about it where you grew up. Yeah. And so they ended up researching and educating themselves, which I'm so grateful to have parents that are like willing to learn and like change their thinking and perspective that they were just, they have been very supportive. And I know that a lot of people do not have that, which is why, like, I'm very open about what has happened to me and the fact that it is possible to change. It is possible to overcome, like, you know, anxiety and depression and things. It is hard, but it is possible. Is this something that you continually deal with to this day? Uh, 
Well, I'm more happier today than I, I do not have. I don't think I think some something like mental health, it will come and go throughout your whole lifetime. If if it's diagnosed or if it's not diagnosed, everyone has mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so but I know how to deal with mine much better today than nice. I did before. And the first thing that I learned is how to rewire my brain, how to hmm. if, if something is if something is bothering me, what 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 are the tools I could use to switch my brain right away so I don't dwell on it often? And of Can course, we- it's been years since that, like since 2017 that I've been working uh-huh. on rewiring my brain. So I can, I can say that I am healed right now, you know, but again, mental health affects all of us. Everyone sure. goes through ups and downs. Absolutely. Absolutely. You said earlier that you knew at five years old, you wanted to get into like fashion and mm-hmm. uh, arts and things like that. Um, when did you when did you realize what was your like what was your first gig you know when did you realize yes i i this is something i'm going to do my mom in the summers used to give me this plain book and then she used to give me her fashion magazines and she's like you know you're bored why don't you just cut out your favorite outfits and paste them on there on on in the in the blank book okay so that that's when it started i was like oh clothes that's kind of cool and then she's like now write down what kind of earrings and what kind of shoes you would you would match with this outfit and then tell me why and I was like okay well because she was really into fashion my grandma used to always sew clothes and things like that as well mm-hmm. so it's kind of always my family but um and then later on I was like mom is there some is there a career where I could like like you know make clothes and she's like oh fashion designing that's what there is you could do that and she at that time introduced me or showed me this uh, Indian designer called Ritu Berry. Mm-hmm. And so I started following all the things that she does in India. But I was obviously, I grew up in, in, in Doha, Qatar before I came to Sarnia. So okay. during that time, I would just like see what Ritu Berry is doing. And she went to Paris Fashion Week and things like that. So she was kind of like my inspiration growing up. And then, yeah, it just went on from there. I started drawing clothes and I was like, how can I? And also it became like my channel because I was bullied in school. I was like, how do I express myself? It's through yeah. Did you? What did you go to school for? So I initially went for retail management because my parents mm-hmm. were like, oh, business and fashion. You're not going to go into fashion designing. That's not a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I actually dropped out of university at that time because I was like, this is just something that I don't want to do at all. And I ended up going to India for the first time to visit my extended family. And Uh I took a train by myself from Nadiad, which is in Gujarat, to Bombay, which is in Maharashtra. And I was supposed to go there for two months, did not even know one person. But I stayed there for four years and three months, and I did everything I wanted to do in fashion, including meet Ritu Berry. <laughs> oh, wow. I came back, and I went back to school for a documentary and film. That, that's a bit of a switch. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. Uh, what precipitated that? What was the reason for that? So uh, because I was, I was working with charities in in. India. So I worked with yeah. charities in Canada and then I ended up working with charities in India on my downtime and I was working with Make-A-Wish Foundation in India. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I noticed about, and also I worked with an orphanage, it was the same thing there as well. Uh, when I went to the hospitals in India, 
it was very different than the hospitals in Canada because in Canada the kids there they're like the the hospitals are nice the kids who are, have been suffering from um you know like really terminally terminally Ill, illnesses their dreams or their wishes are like oh i want to meet john cena from wwe or i want to <laughs> yeah. go to disney world but when yeah. i went to india the the system is so messed up it's like the rich is very rich and the poor is very poor and the and make a wish foundation in india of course works with the the poor so even the hospitals that there were the kids were at were government hospitals not the expensive you know very state of the art type of hospitals oh. and when i went to the government hospitals i saw there were like kids with their parents sitting outside for like 8 days straight waiting to be treated for wow. their illness and i was like i felt so helpless and they knew like i'm not from india like they they knew that i you know i'm new to the city and they mm. thought that i could do something and i i felt so helpless and i spoke to the doctors there i was like how why are they sitting outside they're like well there's no beds here and then i looked at the beds it was one whole hall with like 10 beds or something like that with one kid in each who is suffering from like terminally ill illness and they're like wow. well what since after one passes away we can give the bed and i'm like oh my god what am i doing with my life i don't know something just like everyone just has so busy talking about like celebrities and all these things that don't matter and yeah. i was like how can i give voice to these people like i just felt so helpless and i'm like i need to tell these stories i can't like i and at that time i already felt like i think i achieved everything i wanted to in fashion because yeah. it wasn't my goal to be a supermodel it wasn't like that uh-huh. it was like i want to achieve these certain things and i i did that and i was like there's no growth anyways and i'm like i don't know this this make of it working with charities kind of triggered that in me that i was like i need to tell these stories and the only way i could do it is by making maybe documentaries about these these cases right mhm mhm And did you I I know you have one documentary you have out called Girl Up. Mhm. Was there anything that came before that specifically about some of your experiences in India? Uh no, actually that was my first uh first documentary which was 26 minutes and then uh I extended it to 50 minutes. Well, wow, that's like doubling it. Wow. Mhm. Um so let's let's talk about Girl Up. I found it fascinating. Yeah. Um so human trafficking in Canada. Mhm. Um like I don't know whether anyone sort of understands or thinks about this but first of how did this story come to you? So when I was in uh university like finishing my course uh, we had to make a short documentary it was about, it was about like 10 15 minute documentary and I initially was going to do it on a murder case that happened in my hometown. Mm-hmm. but last minute it did not work out i had 2 months to make a like cast pre production production post production sounds ridiculous because it's like very hard but i ended up meeting a bunch of uh charities non-profit organizations and things that work with um convicts or like sex workers who are trying to come out of the like come out of it mm-hmm. so i kind of wanted to explore what happens when they come back to the community and how the community perceives them so i was like how do i do that so i met like bunch of convicts i met i met like all these 
bunch of people and they had incredible stories to share but i ended up meeting this girl who was similar to my age and from what i understood before i actually sat with her was oh she's come she has been out of a uh, sex trade for about 2 years in canada and now she's coming back into the community that's mm-hmm. what i thought i was interviewing and while i interviewed her her story it was just me and her at the time her story was about how she was manipulated into being trafficked into the sex trade in Toronto i mean in scarborough and toronto and i was like how does that work because for me like everyone else it we think that you know trafficking is when someone gets you know kidnapped and sold and forced into sex labor we never think of domestic human trafficking as something that someone can manipulate in, you into right sure. so that was the first time i learned about domestic human trafficking and that's what happens in first world countries and then after that it's like i started researching more into it and people have been talking well journalists have been talking about it in since 2008 but the government did not pass a bill until may of 2017 hmm. so what what have you found out about it where are things today with it So we do have a bill that MPP Lori Scott helped uh, pass in May of 2017. So I extended the documentary with her and then Tamara mm. Cherry who is uh who has been reporting about human trafficking since 2008. Uh human trafficking is rising. The the rate is rising a lot. Um there is these girls who have been trafficked do not work at night time. They work during 9 to 5. And they work in places that you don't think would happen like Airbnb and and hotels huh. and it's it's happening everywhere these uh pimps or boyfriends so to say most of them what they do is they invest in these girls so they will manipulate these girls they'll give them everything they'll find that vulnerable side and they'll feed into it give them everything they want for 3 4 months and then they start pulling back a little bit So when when that happens the girl is like okay well what did i do wrong why is he behaving this way and they will do anything to get that back from them mm-hmm. and it's yeah. a huge manipulation game these guys are taking these girls out of the school when the school starts and then bringing them back before the school ends so they can go home to their parents and the parents oh, wow. will never find out it is getting wild and uh i don't know if you heard about the the ring that got busted in Toronto in October of 2019 at the ice hot ice apartments on Toronto uh, on uh, front street on front street in Toronto no no uh, i didn't so a massive ring got busted in Toronto in October of 2019 so there was this man who was who had so many guys working under him so many and not always old there there could be 21 22 year olds right Wow. And and this guy went to jail. The the main ringmaster, he actually went to jail, but he was hosting them even while he was in jail. Like things he was just running his business even while he was Jeez. in prison. Yeah, that's how powerful he was, but the ring has been caught now and everyone else got caught too, which wow. is a good thing, but this is just one. Yeah, it's it's still an issue. Yes. And these girls are given a $1000 a day quota. to oh wow to make wow yes that is crazy mm-hmm. what sort of reception um have have you received i you know i understand that probably the uh 
the MP, the MPP that you connected with is, is probably excited that, you know, there's this uh, documentary that's out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what sort of reception outside of that have you received? I have been very, very grateful. I think I was a medium from the universe to tell the story because <laughs> I honestly, when I first made it, the 26th minute, at that time, it was very hard to show it because people just box, boxed me into being like, oh, she was a model. Oh, she worked in the fashion industry kind of a thing. So it was uh, very difficult. So, yeah, not at all. So I made the whole documentary by myself, like shot, edited, like written. Everything is just me. And while I did not show it for two years and, and then I showed it in 2017, the MP and then there was like a small article about it in the newspaper and then the MPP actually tweeted about that to my mayor in Sarnia so that's how I connected with her and then once yeah and I was like oh this is interesting and then I extended the documentary and Mm -hmm. after that uh actually bunch of community the bunch of community screenings happened organically because people just started hearing about it and the most recent uh, i mean last year toronto international film festival found reviews about the longer version girl up the main version and mm-hmm. contacted me to partner with me to be showcased at the civic action summit so awesome. yeah so the documentary was shown there and a bunch of civic action leaders politicians like national security they all came together to see how you know, they can combat this issue. And then it was shown at the TIFF Residence Theater in uh, June of last year. What's what's next for Girl Up? Is is there, um, both from the documentary side, are, are, do you go to enter it in festivals to spread awareness? Um, or is there, is there a follow-up? So for me, the next thing is I want to make this documentary into a series. So not the exact documentary and the exact story. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I actually um, was lucky enough or grateful enough to be uh, chosen to represent my riding of Rosedale and University at the under, tw- under 35 Women's Forum, which was at uh-huh. Assembly of Ontario. And I brought up this issue about talking about human trafficking in school systems because those are the girls that are being affected the most or boys of course uh, I just can't speak about it because I don't know much information but I know that boys have been affected by this as well wow and I was telling one of the MPPs I don't want to name who uh, I was like why isn't this brought into the school system and why have been why haven't no one why hasn't no one talking about this mm-hmm. and her reaction was if we bring this topic in school system we're we're getting we're giving ideas to little boys on how to pimp out girls and I'm like you're telling me that what? you're giving idea yep you're giving ideas to a 14 year old boy on how to make lucrative business by selling like girls like that makes no sense and she's like well that's what happened when we t- started talking about weed more, more people started doing weed I'm like wow you know what you do what you need to do. I'm going to do what I need to do. And I'm trying to turn that into a TV series because I think it will reach more people. It will reach a bigger, larger audience, not just nationwide, maybe worldwide. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm in the middle of writing a series, which is, of course, not, it's based on true stories, not exactly about the documentary, because since that time I've met a lot of other survivors and how uh, their stories have impacted them. I'm trying to bring that all into this, you know, this one 
limited part series. Hopefully it spreads more awareness because the government did not have much to say about it. Yes, this uh, this current uh, provincial government is is very strange indeed. <laughs> yes, very to, to say that to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, Shreya, this is this is this is uh, although the story is harrowing, um, it is it is good news that that you continue to work on this and that you're uh, that you're looking to uh, tell more stories to to increase awareness to mm-hmm. you know educate. You know whether it's the government or, or you know just families in general as well to uh, you know, keep an eye out on this because you know as, as you as you said previously, this isn't you know a a Hollywood movie that you know these sorts of things take place in mm-hmm. in far flung places in Europe. This is something that you know impacts our students and our children here at home. Yes, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, no worries. Listen, what's outside of working on this? What is what else do you have on your plate for 2020? So I have a film coming out. Uh, it's a feature film. It's called The Intersection, which I'm very excited about. And most likely, I just got my UK visa as well. So most likely, I want to move there mm-hmm. uh, for the summer and work on spreading more awareness about trafficking actually in the UK as mm-hmm. well. Um, and then I just have some couple of speaking gigs coming up as well. Keeping busy. Keeping busy, yeah. And if, Auditions if people, and things. Sure. If people wanted to uh, connect or follow along, um, where can they do so? So they can follow me on social media. It's the same um, It's the same name. It's at I M. So M as in like Mary, like M. Shreya Patel, so I M S H R E Y A P A T E L. You can find me on social media, and my um, website is the same. Awesome, Shreya. Thanks so much for joining me. I really uh, enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me. Great conversation.